0: We're in a series called, When You Only Have Time for One Verse, dealing predominantly with one verse of scripture, sometimes pulling in others just as a resource, but basically single verse uh, messages, which is unusual for me. We're usually launching into something that's going for three years or something like that. Each one of these self-contained, one verse. Tonight, The Nucleus of Evil Character and How to Avoid It. The Nucleus of Evil Character and How to Avoid It. The text is Psalm 41.6. And in the ESV, it says, He utters empty words while his heart gathers iniquity, which is good. I kind of like, I don't use it very often for study, but I kind of like the old King James actually says this. His heart gathers iniquity unto itself. And it's something about the way that's said. His heart gathers iniquity unto itself. The whole psalm, if we were studying it, it's a lesson on how righteous it is to find opportunities to minister compassionately and generously to the poor and the needy. And the psalmist says it's the right thing to do because it's the thing God does. And when you show compassion to the hurting and the needy, you share God's heart. Strikingly, perhaps one of the greatest examples of not being there when someone really needs you is found right in this psalm. John 3.18 Jesus predicts that Judas is going to betray him. And when Jesus predicts Judas is going to betray him, he quotes verse 9 of this psalm. So perhaps the greatest example of a friend deserting and betraying someone when their loyalty was most needed is found right in this psalm. To this day, Dedicate dedicated a lot of babies. Very few of them are named Judas. But there's still something else I want to pull out of this one verse, verse 6. His heart gathers iniquity unto itself. I want to tell you first, before we get there, why I think the phrase is important. What I think that one verse can teach us tonight. I think there are three things. This verse tells us How uh, good and intelligent people find themselves captive to sin and bondage in their lives. How does that happen? I think this verse answers it. Two, this verse tells us why it's so hard to convince people of the danger of sin before they actually feel the pain and the hurt of sin. That's the second thing in this song. The third thing this little verse tells us is how to best protect ourselves if we want to be free from sin's bondage. And we never grow beyond that need. None of us. It's always one of the most important features of any life, the capacity to remain sin-free, especially at least in the area of outward acts and deeds. So let's look at each of these three things tonight quickly. Do you believe a speaker when he says we're going to do something quickly? How many say, Pastor Don, I trust you. If you say quickly, I know you're going to do it quickly. How many say, Pastor Don, I don't believe a word you say when you say that? Yeah, okay. One, I'm going to prove you wrong. This little verse tells how good, intelligent people find themselves captive to sin in some area of their lives. His heart, 416, gathers iniquity unto itself. My kids are bigger now, but I can remember when they were little. And while adults rarely find a large snowfall an exciting thing, I can remember over and over again, especially if it's that wet, sticky kind of snow. And you go out and you make a snowman. Snow person, I guess you'd have to do today. You make a little ball, right? That's all you have to do. You make a little ball. You kind of compress it. You put the ball down. What do you have to do? You just roll it along. You don't have to go looking for additional snow. You just roll that little thing along, and it gathers its own momentum. It It just pulls things unto itself. And it grows and it grows. It gets bigger and bigger. All you have to do is create the nucleus. That's all you have to do. The nucleus will gather up unto itself things that are consistent with its nature. The little snowball creates its own increase. All you have to do is begin with a little bit. Here's what I'm trying to say. If sin didn't accumulate in precisely this same fashion, we would be far too intelligent to embrace it. Almost everyone, Christian and pagan alike, is at least self protective enough to be repelled by the grossness of many sins and stay clear from them if they could only observe right up front the final manifestation, the final pain, and the final bondage that that sin that's right now just gently nestled in the heart will produce down the road. So in other words, if we saw the final hurt of what seemed to be small things when we're first tempted by them we'd all be at least too self-protective to launch recklessly into them so 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 how do intelligent people relatively nice people sometimes christian people end up with their lives all gummed up and sorrowful and bruised by sins they don't even enjoy anymore how does that happen in this verse Tells us the heart, the heart gathers iniquity unto itself. What they had planned, planned on in their one moment of free choice, what they had planned on was an invitation just to one small self-indulgence. Nothing seemed that reckless. Nothing seemed like a big deal. They didn't believe the warnings of God. They took the warnings of their fellow believers as, well, you bit of an old right-wing Christian legalist, fussy about everything. Nothing seemed like a big deal. They, they didn't know that this one little compromise was, was a host sin not an isolated choice. In other words, what they were counting on was a controlled situation. They were planning on sampling the fruit of one selected concession to their desires. They saw other people doing it. Other people in the church are doing it. Everything seems fine. What they weren't counting on was this uninvited gathering. That's the word in the text. Of diverse, conflicting, competing, pain-producing, pushy sins, attracting themselves like leeches on the wall of their mind and heart. Only the first sin was invited. The rest just showed up. I want to make sure I learn this carefully for my own life over and over and over again. This is the sad, slowly discovered power of sin. The Bible warns about it. My power of choice only extends to the nucleus. I only control the first few steps. After that, the heart, your heart, my heart, gathers to itself. Once that process starts, it's very hard to turn off. It's about as effective as choosing not to grow old. That's how good, intelligent, bright, sometimes Christian people get caught in freedom-killing, life-destroying sin. That's question number one. How do people get like this? Bright people. Question number two. This verse also explains why it's so hard. My goodness. Why it's so hard to convince people of the danger of sin before they experience the pain of sin. In any uh, moral, spiritual endeavor, whether for good or for evil, the greatest shaping power always lies in the beginnings of things. What I mean is, the first choices always carry more consequence than the last choices. The last choices feel like bigger choices. The first choices feel like smaller choices. In truth, the last choices are just the result. The heart gathers iniquity unto itself. The last choices are just the result, the unavoidable result of careless first choices. The last choices only seem more important. The first choice in any situation. First choices set the direction. Life is directional. First choices set the direction. And anybody, anybody who has exercised any kind of leadership, spiritual leadership, leading a church, teaching a class, discipling a home group, teaching a class trying to be a good parent anyone who has done those things knows how hard it is to convince people of the importance of seemingly little first choices it's really hard to see the significance of them human wisdom being what it is we all want to make we all want to make big choices well <laughs> You know, I I want to marry the right person. I want to find a good church. I want to have a good job. We all want to make big decisions well. And we all want to avoid big mistakes. So small choices usually are not considered all that important. Small spiritual compromises most often are the ones that are overlooked. Biblical wisdom, however, approaches it from the opposite end of the stick. The Holy Spirit wants to teach all of us that life is determined primarily in the beginnings of things. In fact, the word actually teaches that if we make the small beginning choices well, the other ones will take care of themselves. You know this verse. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What happens? All those things get added unto you, but you have to do this. You have to do this. I want to come back to this issue of this second point. Why is it so hard to convince people of the danger of sin before they feel the pain of it? Well, here's why. If there's someone you love and you want to spare them the pain and the bondage and the misery of of sin, you, you really have only one hope of accomplishing that. There's really only one hope. You have to talk to them about sins that they don't think are a big deal yet. You know what I'm saying? That's your only hope. You have to convince them of the danger of sins they don't see as being a big deal yet. There's no other way to help anybody. I can tell you after years of dealing with All sorts of people in all sorts of ages, I can tell you what they're going to say, usually when you try and help them, at least in the first stages. Here's what they're going to say. They're going to say, Pastor Don, it's no big deal. (laughs) They're going to tell you there's no real big problem. They're going to tell you they're no different from anybody else that goes to Cedarview Community Church. If they're theologically in kind, they're going to tell you that you're being legalistic. They're going to tell you that you're making a big issue out of a little issue. And there's only one thing you can do. You can look them in the eye and say, Of course, I'm trying to tell you this big, this little deal is a big deal. This is the only possible time to help you. I'm trying to make a big issue out of a small one because there's no other way to do this. I can't possibly talk you out of big, serious, blinding sins. This is the only time anyone can help you. You can't talk someone out of trouble if they're, you know, single and eight months pregnant, but maybe you could have talked to them about the kind of friends they were making earlier, the kind of entertainment they were letting into their lives, the kind of places they would go, the kind of people they went with. There you could talk to them afterwards. What are you going to say? Maybe I can talk to you out of the kind of entertainment you're putting in your head. Maybe I can talk to you out of the friends who are going to lead you down the wrong path. Perhaps I can still talk to you about the kind of music and videos that play up sexual immorality and downplay virginity and purity. This is the only way you can ever beat down sinful addictions and maintain a pure heart. You have to start by giving the most serious, prayerful attention you can to little things. Careless things, thoughtless things, the things you don't yet regret but will deeply regret later on. That's where you have to start. Because if you can do that, if you can start to see the danger of small compromises and avoid them like the plague, no one will have to talk to you about the big crucial mistakes down the road. Consider this. In terms of his involvement with human beings, the very first thing the devil did was hide the disastrous results of a seemingly very small infraction against God. I mean... Eve didn't shoot somebody. Adam didn't leave his wife. They they ate a piece of fruit. And all they had to tell them not to was just, just God's word. That was it. And in that, let me include this. Here's the measure of who I am spiritually, and here's the measure of all of you, here's the measure of who you are spiritually. Here's the test of a healthy, holy heart. When the only sign of wickedness or danger in any decision, the only thing you can see harmful is that it's forbidden by God's word. Without any external pain in your circumstances yet, how do you react when God just speaks and says, "Mm-mm"? how do you react then? That's who you are in Christ and nothing more. Before there's any outward pain, before there's the outward addiction, is is the simple revealed will of God enough? If any Christian is going to stay safe and holy in this kind of world, he or she will have to deal quickly and faithfully with a String of things that are still so small, they don't look like they're a big deal. They don't look like they're going to hurt anyone. And this is hard to do because we can't imagine the kind of momentum these small compromises carry. Remember, his heart gathers iniquity unto itself. That's the big principle. Remember it all your life. Small choices are really the big ones. They build the nucleus. After that, the sins just gather. I said there were three things. This is three, and we've only been five minutes. All right. Three, this verse tells us how to protect ourselves if we want to remain free from sin's pain and bondage. 41.6, his heart gathers iniquity unto itself. The logic's pretty simple, though hard to implement consistently. If small choices create the nucleus, and if the nucleus then carries the whole heart deeper and deeper into sin, then the place to stop any momentum in my heart is right at the first impulses to compromise. In other words, it is life's highest wisdom to root out sin at the earliest possible point. Several years ago now, I don't know how many would even remember, we were working our way Sunday nights, verse by verse, through the entire book of Romans. I wonder if you remember the importance of a text we studied years ago. It was in Romans 13. It's one of my favorite passages, Romans 13, 12, 13, and 14, where Paul says, the night is far gone. I love that. The day is at hand so he's writing to a church don't forget so let us cast off the works of darkness put on the armor of the light Let, let us walk properly as in the daytime not in orgies and drunkenness not in sexual immorality or sensuality not in quarreling and jealousy 14 but put on the lord jesus christ And, isn't this interesting? Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Surely that would be enough for anybody. And make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Now, you could easily read those things through, those verses, and think they're calling us to an impossible task. I mean, are we really expected the addict? to be finished with his addictions the moment he comes to faith. How can this be done? I mean, imagine the willpower that that would require. Now, you could take some comfort from the fact that Paul cites pretty strong evidence that there were people who did make tremendous turnabouts in behavior by the power of the Holy Spirit when they came to Christ. Uh, I was reading 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11, where Paul says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he goes, and such were some of you. I take it all of those things. But you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of Jesus Christ. By the Spirit of God So at least in some cases, wow, such is the greatness of the power of the life of the Spirit of God and His regenerating work in the human heart. But I think if you look at Paul's words in Romans again, you'll see something in addition t- to this regarding how people can avoid sin's bondage. Look at it again. I'm almost done. 13:12, the night is far gone. the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of the light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies, drunkenness, sexual immorality, and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and, underline, make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Here are the thoughts in this text. This present age of moral darkness is coming to a close. I know we all talk about what in the world is happening in this world. How how did things get so decayed, so perverse, so fast? If you've seen what's happened in the last 10 years to culture, how did this happen so fast? What a mess. I know that. I get that. I don't know that we always balance it with this truth, that phrase, the night is far gone. What Paul is saying is that it's ugly out there. But don't forget, the night is far gone means Satan is spending himself. The Bible says he knows he has a short time. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. It's going to come. So Christians, for starters, orient all their activities to the coming of the kingdom of light not this present kingdom of darkness. So remember that the present era of moral darkness is coming to a close. Secondly, from this Romans text, make no provision for the flesh. I'm not sure it wouldn't be a bad idea if every one of us, when you got out of bed in the morning, took about two seconds. I don't mean your devotions. Just kneel by the bed and say, Don Horbin, today, make no provision for the flesh flesh just for the next 24 hours make no provision for the flesh they say more than a lot of christians think paul isn't saying don't get drunk and he isn't just saying don't be sexually impure that misses his point entirely paul is saying don't ever put yourself in the kind of environment where drunkenness is a feature there are better places to go, church. I know that. I know I sound like an old relic. There are better places to go. Don't hang around with people who are sexually careless, who don't share your values. Don't go to places with your friends on Friday night where the questionable suddenly becomes a source of excitement and fun. Make no provision. Remember, the heart gathers iniquity unto itself. Notice how Paul says, and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in that thirteenth, 14th verse. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. I hope you see it. You, You can't put on the Lord Jesus Christ just by saying, ooh, I accept Jesus into my heart. You put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Part of that is making no provision for the flesh. Putting on the Lord Jesus Christ means... I won't take him anywhere he wouldn't go. I won't participate in anything that would break his heart. Do you remember years ago when there was this big scare about mad cow disease in England? Remember that? I can remember being shocked watching these news clips of these piles. It was gross. These piles of of cattle being bulldozed into huge, huge pits. I remember it. And all of it set on fire. Hundreds and thousands of animals were destroyed. Here's the thing. Very, very, very few of them had mad cow disease. Very few. But unless all of them were destroyed, there was still the provision that disease spreading. Do you get that picture? That is the way Christians who have put on Christ, that's the way we deal with small but potentially deadly sins. There's no allowance. Keep the nucleus of your heart clean. Every sin, every sin feeds and fattens other sins. The heart gathers iniquity unto itself. Do not give sin any momentum in your heart. The only way to avoid sinful self-centered choices is to allow the healing power of God's will to shape the small choices while you have power over them. Bring God into the choices that build your heart's nucleus. This is what Paul means. Whether you eat or you drink, in the ordinary things, bring God glorifying God as the motive into everything you do. And if you do, those early choices of yielding your life to the will of God, even if you don't think anybody else is, if God's speaking to you through his word, don't let the standards of others Tempt you into making small compromises. Don't let the standards of others in the body of Christ tempt you into activities where your heart says, that's a small thing that's going to gain momentum in my life. Everyone said.